Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to All the Books a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 321, and today we are talking about books being released on July 27th, 2021, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Patricia Elsie Tuttle, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello, Patricia. Hey, Liberty. How's it going? It's going all right. I am, I've been texting with one of my best friends a lot today because we are all going tubing soon and I am very excited. Tubing! I have such terrible hearing. I thought you said tubing soon. I'm like, what's being soon? I don't know what that is. (laughs) No, tubing. So Nicole and I bought um, some inner tubes off the internet, but then the past couple of nights she has blown them up and they've just been sitting in our living room because we want to make sure that they can hold air and that the compressor we bought works um, in a timely manner. And so it just smells like off-gassing plastic in our apartment (laughs) right now. You know, the smells of summer. Yeah, it's true. Well, that's exciting. How have you been? Uh, Oh, you know. Busy. Uh, finally stopped raining here, which was nice. Oh, it was raining? Oh, I'm so jealous. Oh, my goodness. For like, I know, right? It won't <gasps> stop raining out here. You have no rain in California. It's terrible. I wish we could send it out there. We did have a giant thunderstorm today, though. That was fun. But um, this is episode 321. Although when I was reading it, I really wanted to say three, two, one, contact. <laughs> because I'm older. Oh, my gosh. like it just popped into my head as i was saying it and i was like that's not gonna make any sense so don't do that but you know i managed to to fit it in but things are good the cats are good and by good i mean they're monsters you know destroying the house and my life at all times they continue to find new places to hide you know when i'm looking for them one of them it was like a a scooby-doo chase today where like I got one of them out of the cabinet when I went to get his food out. He got in the cabinet. And I was like, get out of the cabinet. And then I went to feed them. And then I turned around and I closed the cabinet. And then I went to feed the other one. And I couldn't find the first one. And he was like, back in the cabinet. And I was like, oh, Scooby-Doo. Then you took off his mask and it was Old Man Withers. <laughs> He's like, and I would have gotten away if it wasn't for these meddling kids. Yep. Yeah. They are kind of like cranky little old men. One of them is especially... Farouk yells at me all the time. Every time it's time to eat, he yells like he hasn't been fed in weeks. And he just yells and yells like, do you know how long I've been waiting? It's like, oh, this again. Speaking of which, my wife showed me a subreddit last night. It's like cats who yell or something. <laughs> and people and people just upload videos of their cats yelling at them. And I swear we scrolled through like 50 of them and it was amazing that's awesome i'll have to look for that i just found an instagram account called like ek, 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 and it's just oh, cats, yes cats making bird sounds <laughs> like well, and by bird sounds i mean you know when they see a bird they make that noise 
That is like universal, the universal cat noise for there's a bird out there, which is probably like more like, you know, it's not like there's a bird out there. It's more like, I'm going to eat that bird. Come here, bird. Get in my mouth. It's probably something like that. I saw this comic the other day that made me laugh so hard because my cats make noises all the time and, and I'll make the noise back at them. And my husband's always like, I can't tell like if it's you or the cat making that noise sometimes. You're so good at it. And I saw this comic and it was like this cat and this human and, you know, the cat meows and the person meows back. And this other person's like, wow, you're really good at that. And then the cat's talking to his friend and he's like, so I said F you. And they were like, no, F you. (laughs) It just made me laugh. And I was like, what am I saying to the cats? I don't really know. Right. You don't actually know what you're saying. Yeah. Maybe I'm telling them that they're really good and I enjoy it when they destroy all my stuff and like, please continue doing it. You know, (laughs) I don't know what I'm saying to them. I don't really speak cat. So. But I laugh really hard when I think about it. All right. We covered cats and the weather. And so now it's time for books. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Before we get to that, we are going to hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads it's hot girl reading summer always over here and from the award-winning librettist of legally blonde the musical and the screenwriter of freaky friday heather hawk comes the page turning psychological thriller the trouble with drowning so when author eden hart floats into tucson's antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading cat a struggling writer can't help but compare herself Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Okay, so my first pick today is like a perfect summer read, I think, because it is a chilling, deliciously nasty thriller called Not a Happy Family by Sherry Lapina. And it's just, it's a great book for summer because it's fun, you can't put it down, and it's also a little bit ridiculous, which as you know is my favorite kind of murdery thriller. I'm like, this wouldn't really happen, but you know, it's fun. Uh, So it starts with the Merton family. There has been a disastrous Easter dinner. The Mertons are very, 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 very wealthy. I'm missing some varies in there. Fred and Sheila, they have two, excuse me, three grown children. And they're having Easter dinner at their home. And it doesn't go well. And so like the very first opening scene, like the intro to the book is like we as readers are coming up upon the house and entering the house and finding the bodies of Fred and Sheila Merton, they have been murdered. And we find out, like, their Easter dinner didn't go well. All the children were mad. The housekeeper, who basically raised the children, was there. 
Um, and there were arguments, things were said, they leave, and then that night, they're murdered, Fred and, and Sheila. Now, Fred was just, like, a monster. He was this very cruel tyrant. He did everything that he could to, like, belittle and undermine his children. You know, he was never, he never had a kind word for them. He never praised them. He didn't show them any affection. And his wife, Sheila, was barely around. She let the nanny uh, or, and the housekeeper raise her children. Uh, and she didn't intervene. Like, she never stood up to her husband when he was being cruel to the children. Uh, she's just, you know, and so her children kind of resent her for that because, you know, they they, they never stepped up. She never stepped up for them. But her, their dad has a lot of money. And so they've stuck around. But now, Fred and Sheila, they're dead. Each of their three children has a motive for murder. Like, each of their three children were at this dinner with their significant others plus the the housekeeper. Um, now, each of the three kids has a motive for murder, besides the obvious, which is the inheritance. But did they do it? Each of them has an alibi. They each have an alibi, but are they all telling the truth? There are also some other people who knew the Mertons who might have wanted them dead. Or maybe this was just random. Like, maybe this was a robbery. Someone broke into the house and killed them. It could be, like, you know, a stranger killing. Now, as much as they... Um, the children have alibis. Is that the word? Is that the phrasing I want? I don't know. Uh, not only do the children have alibis, I guess I should say, but they also have, you know, secrets about those evenings. So maybe they don't have alibis really. Like somebody could be lying. I read a lot of mysteries, as you know, a lot, a lot, a lot. And I'm really good at guessing who is responsible, like most times. So I have to say, my favorite thing about this book is that I had no idea who the murderer was, like, throughout the whole thing. I didn't even have an educated guess until, like, the very end. Because Lupina doesn't show her hand at all during the story. She just says, like, here's why this person could have done it. But here's also why this person might not have done it. You know, and here's their alibi, but here's where they could be lying about their alibi. And it just keeps going on and on like that. And so, you know, I was fully invested because I wasn't like, well, it's so obvious that, you know, this person did it because this, and you know, when this happens in a book, this, and, you know, because there is some mystery math, you know, there, like, there are some things that, like, if you read a lot of mysteries, you catch on to, like, you know, if there's a religious figure or a politician in a book, it's almost always them, you know, because they're the last person you would think of, and, like, there's stuff like that, but, like, there's nothing like this in that book, it's just, like, did the children do it? Was it them, really? You know, it's, you just follow along. Like I said, it's a little... It's a little over the top, which I enjoyed, and it's really fun. Uh, I do want to give content warnings for bullying, abusive parents and partners, stalking, and horrific murder. That is Not a Happy Family by Sherry Lapina. For my first pick, I have Summer Fun by Jean Thornton. Content warnings for a parent who is emotionally abusive and manipulative, for anti-trans behavior, an injured animal, and self-harm. Our protagonist is Gayla, a trans woman who lives in Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. She works at a hostel that also has some kind of hot tub, like hot spring situation right there on the river. And the year this takes place in is 2009, or at least it begins in 2009. On the one hand, we don't know much about Gayla. We only know that she is a white transgender woman born in the early 1980s who grew up in an affluent Texas suburb. 
We know her job, as I mentioned, and we also know that she has a friend, Rhonda. Gayla and Rhonda are kind of like friends of convenience. They're the only other transgender women each of them knows in town, so they are joined in friendship by having just this one similarity, but otherwise they're both pretty different from each other. The most prominent thing we know about Gayla is her obsession with a 60s surf rock band. Think the Beach Boys, but not the Beach Boys. It's a made-up band for this book. The name of this band is The Get Happies, and they're a family band. And it's funny because their last name is Happy, so they're the Happy Family. And Liberty just talked about a book titled Not a Happy Family, so I was just giggling this whole time. So anyway, they're the Get Happies. They're a family band of siblings and a cousin, and they were a major hit in the 60s and 70s. This book is told in two different ways. The first is in the present, well, 2009, and it's about Gayla and what she is doing. But the other way is actually by what Gayla does most, which is write fan mail to B, the lead singer of the Get Happies. She calls them B to avoid saying their dead name. It's an interesting kind of writing technique. These letters are so detailed and are a narrative in themselves as if Gayla is telling B about themselves and B's own experience. So it's unclear if the narrator is reliable in this way. But then it's, it's a fascinating look at fandoms and the art and creators that we obsess over and how you know, fans will sometimes learn about people's past and learning or more likely assuming their innermost and thoughts and processes and experiences. In this way, relationships are formed between the fans and the art or music or books, etc, etc. And sometimes also these awkward one-way relationships or imagined relationships between the fans and the creators themselves. In Gala's letters, along with storytelling, there is a clear longing to meet B and become friends. At the beginning of the book, Gala casts a summoning circle to bring B to her, and it doesn't bring B to her, but someone new does show up at the hostel Gala works at. I'm not going to tell you because I don't want to spoil things. This book is really a journey of both self-discovery for Gala in a lot of ways and also for B. And you could kind of like see their lives in parallel, although they take place in completely different decades. And you can see where they cross and intertwine and then break apart again. I expect this book to be a staple on reading lists of trans literature. It's Summer Fun by Jean Thornton. All right. My next pick is, I have to look because I already forgot. <laughs> it's A Song Everlasting by Ha Jin. Ha Jin wrote Waiting, which won the NBA award, the National Book Award, I think almost like 20 years ago now. There was a point where I read all of the NBA winners and I remember reading that one. I think it, but it was a long time ago. And A Song Everlasting is very similar, not surprisingly because Ha Jin also wrote it, but it's very straightforward. It has a very straightforward and almost sparse or withholding writing style, I guess I should say. Uh, and it's also not plot driven. Now, that 
you're going, that doesn't sound very compelling. But it is. It is. And I am so glad that I read it because it was so interesting. It's about a famous Chinese singer named Yao Tian. And at the beginning of the book, Yao is on tour. He has a job as a singer with the People's Company. And they are doing a tour outside of China. And while they are in New York City, an old friend from China who no longer uh, lives in China and has actually been blacklisted from the country, uh, he comes to Yao and says, you know, uh, can we meet? I have a, a proposition for you. And so he gets to talk to his old friends and he offers Yao a lot of money to sing at an event the next day. He's like, if you stay in New York City, you know, I'll give you $4,000. And Yao, he really needs money for tuition for his daughter. And he's like, you know, I'm I'm a famous singer and, you know, I'm going to just do this job and then I'm going to go back like a day later and you know, it's not a big deal. Like, no one's going to care. You know, but the director of the company that he works for, you know, tries to stop him. You know, he says, like, this is really bad and it's going to look bad on your record. and It's going to look bad for me if I don't get all of the company to come back tomorrow instead of the next day. And, you know, he, he he's like, think of your wife and daughter. They're going to harass them, you know, while you're gone. And he's like, I'm not going to be gone. He's like, I'm just going to come back after a day, you know, a day later. And nobody even has to know, you know, like, you don't have to cover for me. You know, I'm just going to I'm just going to do this and nobody's going to even notice. But, of course, that doesn't happen. Yao returns. He, he performs at this concert. He gets his, his money, and he returns to China, uh, and he's immediately summoned. He's going to appear before his bosses at the, at the company, you know, and there are photos of him that show him at this concert where he performed, and it turns out that the organization who funded this concert, he thought it was a bunch of Chinese expats and it turns out that they were anti-government and they have ties to these other political groups that the Chinese government are against and so they're like oh you you know what did you do and now they're trying to decide what to do you know he thinks like this one little thing that he was trying to do for his family has turned into this terrible thing you know that they maybe want him to give the money and he's like fine you know I'll just I'll give the money back you know like I'm really sorry I didn't realize this and you know I just was trying to help my family you know and so they like tell him you know he's like always oh, suspended and he has to write a letter of contrition and, you know, beg for their mercy. Um, and then they say, you know, he can come back, but he has to turn over his passport. And so uh, Yao decides that, you know, he's a singer and he loves to see the world. And if he turns over his passport, it means that he won't be able to leave China again and share his voice with the world and experience all the things that he does. And he's kind of he's kind of like miffed about this. So he decides that... This, this all happens, like, in the first few pages. Like, I'm not giving away the entire book. He decides that he's going to leave China again. Like, before they realize that he's gone. He's going to leave China because he, how can they do this to him? Like, he's a famous singer. And, yeah, he might lose his job with this company. But so what? You know, he's going to go away for a little bit and let them cool off and realize, like, you know, oh, he's, you know, so important to us. You know, and then he's going to go back after a little while. So he goes back to New York City. He has to, like, leave his family right away. He can't act like he's you know, going away on this big thing because he doesn't want his neighbors to see because who knows who's telling what. Uh, and he ends up in New York City. Now he's without his family. And immediately, you know, he starts getting emails, you know, from the company saying, like, you need to come back. He's getting emails, you know, like threatening emails saying, like, this isn't going to be good for your wife and daughter. There are photos that are, he starts taking jobs, performing, you know, concerts, because you know, he's pretty famous. And, and in the area where he lives in Flushing, like a lot of the Chinese immigrants, you know, know who he is and they go to see him at these concerts. And, you know, these photos are getting back to, to China and to the government. And they're, you know, threatening him and people are warning him, like, you know, be careful who you talk to here in America. There are spies everywhere. 
And he's, you know, this is not the life that he wanted. And he's missing his wife and daughter. He's worried that his wife has met someone else. You know, he's he's becoming more involved with the Chinese community. But the more he talks to them and the more time he spends with them, like the more trouble it's causing him. He doesn't know who he can trust. And then his sister is arrested for practicing her religion, which the Chinese government has outlawed. And is this, he's trying to decide, like, is this something that they're doing to try and get him to return? Or is it a coincidence? And he's beginning to wonder, like, how he could have been so naive and arrogant to think that he could teach the Chinese government a lesson. Like, what has he done? Um, This is not a true story, but it is based in truth. It is based in a lot of things that have happened to Chinese nationals. There's a thing called mouth sealing, which is something that is that happens to Yao, in which the government offers him an obscene amount of money to return home and pretend like this never happened. There's also a lot of talk uh, while he's in New York City. There's the anniversary of the Tiananmen Square massacre, and it's just it's just so heartbreaking to read this book as Yao uh, learns about the massacre from this side of the Atlantic. Like, you know, he didn't know, like in China, they don't talk about it and they suppress a lot of the information. And now he's free to, you know, see the photos and the videos of what happened while it was there. And it's just heartbreaking. There also is a lot of talk about Falun Gong, which is a recent religious movement in China, um, which is the one that his sister follows. Um, Its practitioners have been persecuted and arrested and tortured and also murdered. uh, And supposedly their organs are, are given to... Um, families in the government who are are waiting on lists, um, which is just horrific. Uh, it, it just was so full of information. It's a really quiet novel, but it's really powerful. You know, it's about a man questioning his life and his country. And it's a look at what people give up to come to America, what people believe they will find in America, and what the realities are of living here for people from different countries. You want to give content warnings for religious persecution and police violence, uh, infidelity, danger, illness, and death. It is a song everlasting by Ha Jin. Wow, that sounds. It sounds kind of intense. It it's a lot. Like right, yeah. I started talking about like you know organ organ harvesting. Like oh, it's a really quiet you know novel. But you know it's just like these. It's the way that Ha Jin writes. You know they're they're just sort of like matter of fact. Like, and so it's not dramatic or you know. But it's right. still, it, it makes might make it even more powerful. Right. Nicole and I, I was remembering Nicole and I went to China on our honeymoon and um, we were with a tour and when our like little tour shuttle, like we were going to tour Tiananmen Square and our tour guide was like, okay, look, I can't tell you, like, I can't point to the area where the thing happened. She's like, Mm -hmm. I can't mention it. We're not going to look around for it. We're just going to talk about these three things that I'm allowed to talk about. Even though like we were just in the middle of the square and people were hundreds of feet away from us, but very much on the shuttle. She's like, this is what we're not going to talk about <laughs> while we're yeah. while we're touring wow. here. And it was really like it was a really intense experience. It was also like 110 degrees and it's very hot there. I swear it was closer wow. to the sun. But um <laughs> anyway <laughs> Anyway, um, for my next pick, I have something very different. All right. It is I Am Not Starfire by Mariko Tamaki with art by Yoshi Yoshitani. Young adult graphic novel time. Starfire is an extraterrestrial warrior and royalty from the planet Tamaran. 
She is known as one of the members of the hero group, the Titans. She gets her powers from harnessing solar energy. I'm really, like, really simplifying here. She's also known for being considered attractive and for wearing very little clothing and for lots of bright colors. See previous comment about solar energy. But this book that I'm talking about, this book is not about Starfire. It's about her daughter, Mandy. Mandy is a chubby, misanthropic goth girl who hates being the daughter of a superhero, especially Starfire. Mandy is in high school and has decided that she's not going to college. That college can just go kick rocks. Of course, she has not told her mother this. They don't really talk, not that Starfire doesn't try. Mandy just sees no point in talking to her alien mother, who she feels can't relate to her. Mandy's best friend is Lincoln, and they spend a lot of time together being snarky and also trying to avoid the Titans groupies that harass Mandy. As I mentioned, Mandy hates being the daughter of a superhero, and she extra hates being reminded of it at every turn. Also, kids have always been super mean to her, asking personal questions about Mandy and her mom and the Titans, making up rumors, and most of all, making Mandy feel bad because unlike her mother, Mandy doesn't have any superpowers. This in particular makes her extra self-conscious. So Mandy and Lincoln are in English class and the teacher is pairing the students up for a project. Mandy gets paired with Claire. Claire is sweet and smart and likable and cool, and Mandy absolutely has a major crush on her. There is one thing wrong with Claire, and it's not really Claire who's the problem. It's Claire's friends, who are total jerkwads. Though, it does seem as though Claire's a real one, and she's becoming friends with Mandy because she genuinely likes Mandy, and not because Mandy is Starfire's daughter. It is, of course, a story about a teen coming into her own and figuring out her place in the world and maybe even the universe. Since it's a graphic novel, it would be silly of me to not talk about the artwork, which I absolutely loved. The use of color is super intense. There are parts that are so incredibly bright and vivid and colorful with no use of the color black until Mandy enters the scene in her all black clothing and black hair and black boots. And it can almost feel like she's part of some other unrelated story. And and that's how Mandy feels. And the art really portrays that. I enjoyed this read a lot. It is I Am Not Starfire by Mariko Tamaki with art by Yoshi Yoshitani. That made me think. I just watched the trailer for Encanto, the upcoming Disney movie about like the village where everyone has magic except the one girl. Oh, I haven't watched it yet. It looks really good. Plus, like, oh my goodness. It's so funny when I watch animation, especially like, you know, Pixar and Disney movies. I'm like, okay, they can't make it look any better like it can't look any better and then you go like a couple years and you see a new one and you're like okay that can't look any better it's just <laughs> it, it just continues to progress it's so amazing the thing that kills me right now is how good cgi water has become like <gasps> something specifically about the water i'm like how is that how are they doing that how is it so good they must have like movies or videos or something you can watch to see how they do that kind of stuff because i'm constantly like how do they get each hair how does that do that like how like <laughs> it's amazing oh so yeah i'm excited to watch that not as excited as i am for dune which also just dropped a new trailer mm -hmm. but you know as if i didn't love it like enough the first trailer but then they have like jason momoa making a silly joke i'm like oh my goodness like <laughs> 
<laughs> cannot wait any longer. It's coming out on my my one year wedding anniversary. Like it's a present for me. I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, bye. So now for something completely different. I have another great read for the summer. A a slinky, claustrophobic novel. It is Fierce Little Thing by Miranda Beverly Whitmore. And this, I can't say too much about this book. I mean, I have a lot of notes, because you know I talk a lot. But it really, I'm not really telling you much of anything. It is set in the past and in the present. And like I said, I can't give too much away. I went back and looked at the description, and it doesn't tell you anything. So I'm going to speak vaguely. But it's about a young girl named Saskia. She's a teenager in the past, uh, and something bad happens at her Connecticut home. She has a very wealthy family. She's living with her parents and her little brother and her grandmother, and now her parents are gone, and she is sent to live with an even wealthier family in New York City. That's all I can tell you about what happens with her parents at that home. So she goes to live with this family in New York City uh, because there is a boy her own age there. Her grandmother thinks that, you know, it'll be good for her. And the boy is named Xavier, and she's really taken with him. Uh, his family is kind of bohemian. His father is a painter who makes a ton of money from his work. His mother travels the world buying things for her boutique. And her grandmother also sent her there because she wants to get Saskia away from the prying eyes of journalists. Because whatever it was that happened at their home, the, the press is now interested in taking pictures of her, even though she's just a teen. Uh, so... Not only does she get to go to New York City, but then Xavier's father decides to take them even further away to a place in Maine called Home. Home is located at an old campsite far back in the woods, and it's kind of this hippie commune. When they get there, Xavier and Saskia and his dad, you know, there's a bunch of little kids and, you know, people just sort of like hanging around, making bread, living off the land, um, and... The leader of this group of, at the commune is, is named Abraham. So Abraham teaches them about unthinking, about how things, obviously, we know what things are. Like when you cling to these possessions, when you cling to these ideas, you know, it's bad for you. So like clinging to the idea that maybe, you know, you could do this, you know, is, is one bad thing. Or clinging to your possessions, like when they get there, you know, they give up a lot of their stuff. Uh, and... Saskia is completely smitten with Abraham at first. Like, he's very charming, and she likes this idea of, like, you know, leaving the past behind and her possessions behind. And there are other teenagers there her own age, and she makes these really great friends, and she learns all about nature from an elderly woman who lives down the road. She teaches her all the Latin names for things. But, you know, it's pretty obvious to everyone involved except the people there that this is a cult. Uh, And things turn sinister. There are jealousies and something bad happens. We don't know what that is, but the story is told in past and present, like back and forth between chapters. And like some of these chapters are extremely short. So, I mean, you're going back and forth and back and forth. And we know that in the present day, Saskia is now hiding away back on her family estate. She's back in the home that she lived in in Connecticut uh, by herself. And she's hiding from the world and she her friends from the home show up and it turns out that they've all been receiving these letters that say we know what you did and you need to come back to Maine you need to come back home or you know you're going to pay the price so we find out that they have done something that has worried them so much 
that they are willing to risk their lives to go back to this place and do whatever these letters say. They don't know who is threatening them. They don't know, you know, what that person knows. But whatever it is that that these five teenagers did, you know, 20 years earlier, was bad enough that they are willing to go back and, and throw themselves at the mercy of whoever is behind these letters. It's a sinister novel about family and love, blind faith and jealousy. The prose is a bit florid. I found it a little hard to get into at first, and you know, but after I got the rhythm, I, I was right in tune with it. And it's it's extremely compelling. I mean, because the chapters are so short, you get a little tiny, tiny peaks of information at a time. So you have no idea what has happened, and Beverly Whitmore drags that out for a while. And I'm like, oh, what is it? What did they do? What happened? Who's Who was it? What's going on? You know, and you don't know who's responsible. And I loved that. It, it, it's getting a lot of secret history comps, which, as you know, secret history is my jam. I would not say that it's quite like the secret history, but it is similar in that it's about young people with trust funds, you know, in difficult situations and getting themselves into trouble. There's murder, there's art, you know, but and like the secret history, it's not like a, you know, a straight out thriller, but it is very compelling. I want to give content warnings. There's a lot of them. I probably have missed some, but... Content warnings for mentions of illness, partner abuse, child abuse, sexual assault, animal death, child death, murder, and chemical use and abuse. It is Fierce Little Thing by Miranda Beverly Whitmore. And now we are going to hear from our next sponsor. All right, Patricia, now that I have you back, <laughs> sometimes it makes it makes me laugh. Like, you know, these, these things happen, but they get edited out. So in the middle of my last description... All of a sudden, it sounded like I was in a submarine. I got it sort of getting these like weird beeps. And Patricia was missing. Yeah. All of a sudden, the sound for me, like the sound dropped out. And I was like, where did she go? (laughs) (laughs) But you know me, I don't stop talking. It took me like a full minute to be like, wait, what? Is anybody there? And that's what made me worried because you don't (laughs) stop talking. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) So for my next pick, I have Red Wolf by Rachel Vincent. Content warnings for harmed animals, lots of violence, and lots of blood. This was a fun young adult retelling of Little Red Riding Hood. Adele lives with her mother and young sister in the village of Oakvale. On one side of Oakvale lies the river, but the rest of Oakvale is surrounded by the dark wood. Many people who go into the dark wood do not necessarily come out. It's full of monsters and the darkness is all-encompassing. Most creatures, they say, are kept away from lantern light and firelight. Some of the most dangerous monsters in the dark wood are the werewolves. If anyone gets bitten by a werewolf and comes out of the forest, the town then, of course, has to burn them alive. This happened to Adele's father when she was young. Adele, her mother, and sister often draw suspicion from the village because of their bright red hair and also because Adele's grandmother lives in the dark wood. She has a cabin in a clearing and keeps cutting back the trees. The wood literally tries to swallow up whole towns, and Adele's grandmother's cabin is no different. Men in the village patrol the perimeter to keep the town safe from monsters. Granger Colbert is part of this watch, and Adele intends to marry Granger. He has certainly asked for her hand in marriage, but Adele is having a hard time getting her mother's approval to say yes. Like, she keeps trying to bring it up, and her mother just kind of brushes her off or changes the subject. 
We soon learn why. Adele learns that she comes from a secret line of guardians, women who can shapeshift and who are the real protectors of the villages in and near the dark wood. They also protect anyone who travels the trails through the wood, such as merchants. She learns this on a day she goes to visit her grandmother, who then bestows on her a red hooded cape. On her way back through the dark wood back to Oakvale, Adele hears a child crying. The wood is known to lie, to steal memories and mock voices to get people to leave the path. Adele strays from the path and indeed finds a young boy, maybe around five years old. He is alone and looks to have been from the family of merchants that was attacked. Adele brings him to town with her to safety. Meanwhile, Adele's mother insists that Granger would not understand her role as a guardian and would burn her as a monster if he ever found out, so she can't possibly marry him. Adele, of course, disagrees. Then her mother lets her know the other part of it, which is Adele is already betrothed to someone that her parents determined was a good fit a long time ago. From Adele's point of view, her life is spinning out of control, and it's absolutely nothing that she expected it to be, nor is it anything she wants it to be. It is another story of a girl finding her strength and purpose in the world that thinks she is a monster. It was a really fun read. Like I said, it was uh, lots of blood, lots of violence, but I don't. I tend to not mind that in my adventure. It's Red Wolf by Rachel Vincent. Oh, funny you should bring up blood because there is lots of it in my last pick, although in a really fun way, which does not make any sense when I say <laughs> a that. A lot but of I promise, blood in a really fun way. I promise way. it does. <laughs> <laughs> I was telling Patricia before we started recording, like I am, you know, constantly reading novels, and the other day I thought I need to read like a comic, and so I had this galley I had downloaded, and it turned out that it just happened to come out today, so I was like, perfect. It's an adorable, adorable middle grade vampire graphic novel called The Accursed Vampire by Madeline McGrain. And like I said, it's for, it's aimed at middle grade readers, but anyone can read it. It's about three vampire friends. It's silly and fun and also a bit creepy. The main character in this group of friends is Dragoslava, who is the leader of the gang, kind of. And all of the, the vampires are, are kids. So, you know, it's kind of like some of them are a thousand years old. Some of them were turned into vampires in the 60s. And it's, you know, like they're stuck being little kids. And so, you know, little kids, it's kind of like, um, you know, interview with a vampire where it's like, oh, look at these little kids. And so they are much, it's much easier for them to sneak up on adults and, and bite them because they're like, look at these little kids. And then they're like vampires and they're always looking for blood. And Dragoslava, like I said, is kind of the de facto leader of the gang. Uh, they look like Nosferatu, like the illustrations are so cute. They look like almost like a little Fisher-Price vampire, like big round white head fangs and little black cape body. Um, and so at the beginning of the book, Dra- Dragoslava gets a call from a witch that he knows who tells them that uh, her grimoire has been stolen. And I love it because Dragoslava is like, grimoire, that's, that's like a book, right? And the witch is like, yes, it's a book. And so her grimoire has been stolen. And now these, like I said, these little vampire kids, they've been around for a really long time. They've been all over the world. And she needs them to go to Michigan to look for this book. And they are so excited to go to Michigan because they've never been to Michigan before. So they head out to Michigan, although Dragoslava hasn't really told the other two why they're going. Just kind of like, you know, hey, let's go on a trip. 
So they go to Michigan. They meet a local vampire who is not happy to see them. She's like, you know, oh, vampire kids, they're always a problem. Like, they're just, they're just going to be a pain all the time. But this vampire lives with a very nice witch. And so Dragoslava is like, well, there's a witch living in this town. She must be the witch that has this book. We are going to hang out with her until we figure out where this book is. But, you know, not everything is as it seems. We get some glimpses of the past, how each of the kids became a vampire. Also, Dragoslava is kind of bossy. And like I said, they haven't really told their friends why why they're on this adventure. Uh, and they might be putting their friends in peril, like, for their own selfish reasons. So can Dragoslava find the grimoire, make the witch happy, and keep his friends? And also find blood. They're always asking, do you have blood? Is there blood? Is there blood here? It's just, that's why when you said, like, there was lots of blood, I was like, yes, this is also a book with lots of blood. But in a kind of funny way, because vampire children adorable vampire children the illustrations are so colorful and cute and there's definitely room for a sequel if you like beetle and the hollow bones or fun halloween vampire comics this is a great book for you it is the accursed vampire by madeline mcgrain you mentioned cute vampire children and i just finished reading a book with a terrifying vampire child Ooh, those are good too I, it was uh octavia butler's fledgling Ooh. but that's not what i'm going to talk about right now <laughs> i uh for my last pick i have a book that actually came out a couple weeks ago it's while we were dating by jasmine guillory this is a fake dating romance that i enjoyed immensely I am also very biased because it takes place in California and specifically in places with in which I am familiar and I'm always charmed by books that are located in places that are dear to me. So we start with Ben Stevens, who is in the San Francisco Bay Area and who is running late to work. Ben works for an ad agency and they have a major project pitch to give to a tech company. Ben did a lot of work on the project and knows it backwards and forwards. Doesn't really matter because Ben knows his bosses and the rest of the team will do the presentation and take most of the glory. And Ben, as the black person, will be present to show how diverse their team is. Or at least that's how it normally goes. And that is what Ben is expecting. But then he gets a call from the rest of his team who is stuck in L.A., which is an hour flight from where he is, but it's a good six-hour drive from where they need to be. So Ben is going to have to give the presentation alone. He arrives at the company about to start his presentation when the most beautiful woman he has ever seen in person walks in the door to the conference room. This woman is Oscar-nominated actress Anna Gardner, and she is the talent for this ad campaign. No one expected her to show up to the pitch meetings, and she was counting on that. Of course, she was charmed by Ben, and his company got the contract. At Anna's request, he also oversaw the entire project, and they spent a lot of time together on set. During one of the shoots, Anna gets a call. Her parents were down near Palm Springs on a trip, and her father had to get rushed to the hospital. Unbeknownst to anyone, or pretty much anyone, Anna deals with severe anxiety. She knew it would be ridiculous to just rush down to Southern California to check on her dad when it was likely just dehydration, but she really started to freak out a bit. She called her assistant to get her a flight, and there were none that could work with her schedule. 
Ben notices Anna's barely controlled freak out. One thing leads to another, and there is suddenly an impromptu road trip to Palm Springs. This is at least seven hours in a car from where they are. Of course, like I said, this is a romance, and the attraction between the two of them is palpable. They don't even try to hide their flirting and chemistry. They get to Palm Springs, things are fine, but then the hotel they got only has a single room available. No, there's not just one bed, but that doesn't mean that they took separate beds, wink wink. They keep their physical fun a secret, but Simon, Anna's manager, catches on. Simon's not mad. He actually thinks it's good for Anna's image and suggests she string Ben along for just a bit while she is trying to sign on to some new films. Ben agrees. No strings. Just fun. Just how they both want it. As you know, this is never sustainable. This book was so steamy, lots of ripping the clothes off of each other in this book, and it was also hilarious. Lots of belly laughs as I read it. It's While We Were Dating by Jasmine Guillory. All right, so those are our new books. What are you going to read next? I am reading so many things. The book, like the physical book I'm reading, is Belly of the Beast, The Politics of Anti-Fatness as Anti-Blackness by Deshaun Harrison. Our nighttime book that Nicole is reading to me is Grimm's Complete Fairy Tales. Like, not the Philip Pullman one. We already went through that. But we have a collection of, like, all of the all of the Grimm's tales. So even the ones that aren't that good at all. So we're working our way through that. And I am listening to Braiding Sweetgrass, Indigenous Wisdom, Scientific Knowledge, and the Teachings of Plants by Robin Wall Kimmerer. How about you, Lib? Well, speaking of vampires, I have, you know, started my Stephen King reread and I am on Salem's Lot, which is his second book, which means I only have a few more to go, right? Only only a couple yeah. more books yeah. that he wrote. Two or three, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but this is his vampire one. And now I'm blanking. I'm trying to remember if there, there have to be more vampires somewhere in his books. But yeah, so this is the second one. So I'm reading that. And I'm also reading An Arrow to the Moon by Emily X.R. Pan. Emily X. Pan wrote The Astonishing Color of After, which came out a couple of years ago, which I absolutely loved. So I am also very excited about this one. And that is it for today. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online. Patricia hangs out on Twitter and Instagram at the info file. I mostly hang out on Instagram at friends and comes alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.